0: I do want some audience participation for the first little bit. How many of you guys have set New Year's resolutions this year? All right, how many of you have kept to them? That's not very many. I'm proud to say, and I'm not trying to brag, but I've completed one of them. One of my resolutions this year was to read 12 books this year, and I thought, that's one a month, surely I can do that. And I'm a slow reader, and I pick long and tough books to read sometimes, Preston came over to my house, Pastor Preston, sorry, came over to my house uh, last year, and he saw, I said, I just finished this book, and he looked at it, and he said, that's a textbook that we read at, at Moody sometimes, and I was like, oh, it's just taking me two years to read it, so, but I'm happy I finished it, but in the course of reading this year, I read a book um, just recently, it's really, really good, I, I highly recommend it, it's called Until Unity, it's by Francis Chan, and uh, that's kind of where I got the idea to talk about this, um, so just a... Uh, uh, that's the overarching statement to say, yes, I'm taking from him. It's not plagiarism. I'm citing him now. So there you go. But more audience, audience participation. Um, we know our world is divided in a lot of ways. And to illustrate this, I'm going to ask some controversial questions. They're not that controversial. Um, and I want to see show of hands about who agrees with side A or side B. So the first one, and there was actual, like, scientific polling done on this, um, who thinks that pineapple belongs on pizza? So if you are for pineapple, let's see some hands. Okay, that's, that's a lot. If you are against pineapple on pizza, let's see some hands. All right. If you have no opinion, what, well, can I see your unsure hands? Okay, a couple of you. So there was this, this group called Public Policy Polling, and you can tell what they do by the name of their group. Um, and they, they asked this question to a lot of people, and 47% of people said that pineapple belongs on pizza. 32% said no, and 20% were unsure if they've ever had pineapple on pizza. Um, and then that same group asked the question of people, um, cats or dogs? So can I see the cat people? I'm gonna proudly raise my hand, I'm a cat man. All right, dog people, let's see some hands. And I see my mother-in-law's raising her hands tw- for both because she, it's okay to be both. And how many people are just unsure, have no opinion on, on cats or dogs? Okay, some of those people. All right, so 21% of people, Polled preferred cats, 27% were not sure, and 52% of people were wrong and preferred dogs. <laughs> no. But in the same poll, they asked people, what would be your preferred exotic pet? And surprisingly, 18% of people said a dinosaur would be their preferred pet, which was shocking to me. Jack is all about dinosaurs, so we do a lot of dinosaur talk, and I don't know if there's one that I think would be a good pet, not, not a single one. Um, my, my last question for you guys, this is a really this is a really heated topic among at least my generation. So much so that when I I worked at a place for my first job out of college and we were hiring a lot of people who were freshly out of college. So when we interviewed people, we had a lot of fun with it and would ask things like, um, is a taco a sandwich? That was an interview question. Or what's your favorite Pokemon? Which I know for a lot of you, doesn't mean anything. Um, But this one was, this was a hot button issue. So um, again, it's okay to have no opinion, but I'm gonna ask, and for millennials, this is a burning question. Backstreet Boys or In Sync? So Backstreet Boys, anyone? Okay, a few. In Sync, yeah. And who doesn't care? That's most of you, and I'm not surprised. <laughs> not surprised. Um, so yeah, these are ways that we are divided in society, and I'm not asking for participation on these ones that I'm going to bring up because these ones are more serious. So um, I was just looking for like what are really divisive topics in our society, and um, in 2021 Yale did a study, and they asked people. Um, do you believe that climate change is caused mostly by human activity? And 57% of people said yes, 43% of people said no. And then to expand on that question, they said, should we expand offshore drilling for natural gas in the U.S.? And this one was like as tight as you can be. 49% of people said yes, 49% of people said no, and 1% of people said, I don't know, I don't know. That's like as tight as you can get. Um, There was another one. Highly divisive. And uh, just this year, Gallup asked people, "Should we enforce current gun laws more, or should we pass new laws in addition to enforcing current ones?" And that was a 42-55 split. 42 people saying just enforce the current ones, and 55 say enforce them and put new ones out. And then maybe most controversial of all, there was uh, we had an election in 2020, and that went 47% of people. This is popular vote. Went to President Trump, and 51% went to President Biden. We are divided. I'm not getting political. Just calm down. Um, we're divided in a lot of places, and sometimes passionately so, right? Like, you can just see when we, people start arguing about any of those things I just mentioned, even the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, even though you guys don't care, um, people get really passionate and excited about these things. And it isn't just our society. The church is just as divided. I was looking up uh, how many denominations are in the United States, and it was pretty surprising. Are there any guesses? First John says thousands. I heard a tonne. When I asked uh, my wife, she said, like, I don't know, like 30? And I was like, yeah, I wish it was only 30. Um, there are about 200 denominations recognized in the United States. And globally, this one blew me away. There are 45,000 denominations globally. So we are just as much divided as the rest of the world, if not more in some ways. And we're divided over things that are good. Like, we, we, we argue about, well, is this thing a sin issue or is it not? And, and that's something we should take stands against if, and we'll get to this in a minute, if, if it really is a, a big problem. And then there are things that we are divided against that are silly, like Backstreet Boys are in sync or politics or what color we should paint the bathroom or whatever. Um, so we're going to be looking at um, what Jesus had to say about unity a little bit. So if you could turn with me to John chapter 17, and we're going to be looking at um, verses 20 through 23. So just four verses. I'm going to get a drink while you do that. okay so while you're turning let's just orient ourselves where this is in the biblical narrative so Jesus um, is with his disciples they're at the Last Supper he's already um, talked to them about a lot of different things like you can just look at your your headings if you have them in the little sections like they're not inspired but they're in the Bible so mine says they've talked about the vine and the branches Jesus um, predicting persecution Um, The counselor, the Holy Spirit, um, he's washed their feet. He's done all these things um, at the Last Supper, and now he's praying. And first he prays for himself, and then he prays for his disciples who are there, and then he prays for some other people. Um, And that's where we're going to start in verse 20. Well, I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we'll go verse by verse. So Jesus said, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be completely one and the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them and you have loved me. So verse 20, we we ask, well, who's Jesus praying for? He's praying for us. And how is it that we can believe in Jesus? He's, he's praying for us um, because of the people that come, have come before. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, James. Anyone that, I mean, someone told you about Jesus. There's been this long line of succession of people that have come before us telling us the good news of Jesus, and that's why we can believe. So he's praying for us, those people that have come afterwards. And he says, may they all be one as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. May they all be one. May they be united. Do you believe that this can happen? I know that sometimes it's really hard to believe. We say, oh, it could be possible. We can get along. And this isn't just this. That's this body. That's other churches around. That's the global church. All 45,000 denominations, 200 in, in the United States. Could it be possible for us to be united? Well, maybe. I mean, we could do things together. We can, um, you know, do service projects together. But it's not just getting along. It's not just, um, you know, being able to do outdoor worship services together, which is really cool, and we're going to be doing another one um, around Christmas time, inside, not outdoors, don't worry. Um, but th- those are good things, but Jesus is not just talking about doing that. He's saying, may they, be all, may they all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. That has some pretty strong implications, Because Jesus is a member of the Trinity, and so is God, and so is the Holy Spirit, and this is one of those great mysteries of the faith. I taught on this a few years ago at the youth group, and man, it was confusing (laughs) to say, well, Jesus is God, but he's not the Spirit, and he's not the Father, and the Spirit is God, but he's not Jesus, and he's not the Father, and the Father is God, but he's not Jesus, or the Spirit, but they're all God, but they're all different, and it's really confusing, and I don't know what to do with it. But Jesus is saying he wants us to be just as united, us together, as the Father and, and he are. It's not a tolerance, it's not a surface level love for each other, which even that is hard to do. He's saying that we need to be one just like they are, which is eternally one. They're the same deity, they're, the same, they're not the same person, that's heresy, but they're the same deity. It's, it's confusing, it's hard to wrap our mind around, but we kind of understand what he's saying. And he says, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus wants us to be united. Jesus wants to be united with us. It's something we talk about. I want to know Jesus more. I want to know God more. I want to be closer to Him. But did you know that He wants to be closer to you? That it's not just a one-way thing and we're trying to get to God all the time, which is what a lot of the religions of the world say is if only I can do so much, I can get there, and then I can be close to God. God wants to be in a relationship with us too. He wants to be one with us. And that should make us really excited and happy because the God, the creator of everything, wants to be known by us and wants to know us. And the why he wants all this is just important. He wants this relational closeness so that the world may believe in him. He says that if all this happens, if this unity happens, the, um, so that the world may believe you sent me. And he's talking to God, obviously, the Father. He says, so if, if, if they're this close, the world will believe that Jesus was sent. And that seems really hard because there's a lot of Things that we have to get over, a lot of hurdles we have to jump over. I don't know if I can be so united with somebody who's a, a huge dog person when I'm a cat person. How could this be? <laughs> so we ask, well, how can this happen? How, Jesus, how are we going to do this? Because you're praying for it, and you're God, and you're asking the Father, God, how? But you wouldn't be asking if you knew it couldn't happen because you're God and you know all things. Um, but he says, I have given them the, glori- the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. He has given us his glory. And again, this is like, okay, that sounds great, but what does that mean? So I tried to think about what's the simplest way we could talk about God's glory. And so I asked Judy on Wednesday, what's the gather and grow definition of unity, or not unity, glory? Um, because we've been talking about that a little bit in gather and grow. And if you're not coming, it's really good. You should come. But um, we, we try and give simple definitions because we have little kids there all the way through not so little kids. And I don't know who made the distinction, but in, I gather and grow. If you're 45 and younger, you're a kid. So that may be a motivation for some of you to come. And if you're a little bit older than 45, you're not a kid anymore. Um, but the, the definition we, um, that Judy gave me was, it's the awesomeness of God. And I tried to dig in that a little more, and there's just not a really good definition I could find of what God's glory is. But it's all those things that that we worship about God, his love, his compassion, his goodness, his mercy, his un, His unfailing love for us, his faithfulness all these things his awesomeness god's given that to us and how has he given that to us it's because of what jesus has done on the cross Um, his death on the cross his burial in the tomb his resurrection three days later we have been made holy because of that we've become made blameless in the eyes of god because of that if we've accepted him c.s lewis once talked about um, if you could see groups of people in light of eternity what they would look like so if you could see someone from an eternal perspective what would you see? And he said, of people who have um, who've come to know Jesus, he said, remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. That is what glory does to us, that we, we've been included in the workings of Jesus, in the workings of the Spirit, in the workings of God, that if you could see all of you or whoever's a Christian with an eternal lens, the way God sees us, it would be something just incredible. It would be something so incredible that we would be really be hard pressed. We've never seen something so beautiful, and we'd be like, "Oh, maybe I should worship that. That might be God." Obviously, it's not. God's infinitely more glorious than that. But I'm just trying to get the point across that, like, this glory is impressive. This glory is important. This glory is glorious. Um, and why has He done this again? So that we may be one as Jesus and the Father are one. And this, every time I say it, I'm just like, I don't quite understand how that works but it sounds awesome. It sounds like something we should really want. And then we say, okay, you've done this. And he answered kind of why, but but why do we keep talking about this? Why is this so important? And he said, I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. And so I was looking in Blue Letter Bible and looking at other places to try and see other translation of this. And I saw that sometimes it said that um, he's doing this so that we may be perfectly one or completely one. And so I said, I'll look up that word because maybe in the Greek it means something else. And it, it's, there's a deeper meaning there. And surprise, surprise, completely or perfectly means just that, completely and perfectly. So that was kind of, um, I was hoping for something more and more profound, but it wasn't. Just perfectly and completely, which is still pretty profound. Um, he wants us to be united in, a, in loving each other in a real way. And again, Why? So that the world may, may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. This is huge. Jesus is telling us that if we are united, people are going to know the truth of the gospel. This isn't like a, a, a gamble. This isn't a, oh, well, maybe. Like we do all these outreach things where we'll say, well, let's uh, and they're good things. Let's, let's have a fun day for people. And we'll have blow up activities and we'll have carnival games. We'll have hot dogs and cotton candy and popcorn. And we'll have a puppet show. And that's great. And then maybe someone will come to know Jesus. Maybe. Or we'll um, have a Christmas program and it'll be really good and the production value will be great and we'll have excellent singing and, and we'll have cookies afterwards that are good and we'll have the, the gospel presented and maybe someone will come to know Jesus. Maybe. But Jesus is saying that if you do this, if you are united, they will know. They are going to know that God sent me and that I love them and that he loves me if you're united. This is like... A, we. we I almost feel like, like we should stop messing around with all these, oh, maybe outreaches and just focus on this one thing because this is like a sure thing. I know we're Baptists and gambling is not a thing we do, but if you were gambling, this is the one you put your money on. This is the sure thing. So then the question is, well, okay, how do we come, become united? And I don't have all the answers for that, but I think I have some ideas. Um, the first idea is that we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, like, we often will forget about the Holy Spirit and... Francis Chan wrote a book about this, too. That's pretty good. And if you want to read it, it's called Forgotten God. Um, but Because we pray to the Father and we, we pray to Jesus. And oftentimes, we, um, we just kind of ignore the Holy Spirit. But if you turn back a couple pages, John 14, um, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. And he says in 16 and 17, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. He's our counselor. He's our helper. He's the one who's going to empower us to do all the things we need to do in our walk with Jesus. When we say, I I have this sin problem and I can't get over it. Well, yeah, you can't get over it, but the Holy Spirit's going to empower you to get over it. I have this this other, you know, I'm struggling in this area or that area or whatever, and I just can't seem to, to do it right because we can't do these things. The Holy Spirit is what empowers us to do these things. Our helper is the Spirit. We need to rely on the Spirit. And after reading more about unity and, and reading um, the Bible more, I'm convinced that spirit-filled believers don't separate, that you don't see a church that's full of people filled with the Spirit that separate, in the same way that you don't see families that are full of the Holy Spirit with a lot of familiar strife. You don't see marriages where both people are filled with the Spirit separating. The Spirit of God is a unifying, a unifying person, a unifying factor in our lives, and and if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we're not going to fracture. Yes, we can disagree. We can Dissension and disunity, I don't think, are exactly the same thing. There are plenty of times we disagree. Um, for a while, uh, Katie and I were having some friends over every Thursday night, and Pastor Preston would come over. And sorry to pick on you again, Preston. Um, and he'd be like putting his shoes on, putting his coat on, and about to leave, and we'd be talking about something theological. And then one of us would make a point that the other would disagree with and They'd go, hold on. And we would stand in our kitchen with Preston with his coat and his shoes on, ready to go out the door for like an hour and a half, just debating further and further. Oh, what, you, what about this passage? What about this passage? Well, what about this theologian? Who, he said that. What? And just going back and forth. And Katie's over there rolling her eyes like, oh my gosh, I just want to go to bed. You guys are nerds. <laughs> Please be quiet. And then Preston leave. She didn't. She loved it. Um, but we can have these discussions, these arguments, without being, um, without being divisive. We can just debate theology In love and without being divisive that's not what i'm talking about Um, but we do have these splits where people say oh i don't like this so i'm leaving the church i don't like that so i'm leaving the church or or i'm going to start my own little group over here in the church and we're going to argue against those people and and that's i mean there's no way to put it that's sin and that's not the result of being filled with the spirit the second thing we need to do to be united is we must love deeply in his book um until Unity, Francis Chan says, in the church we divide easily because we love shallowly. I'm going to say it again. In the church we divide easily because we love shallowly. Splits and division happen and people just move along. You'll see people who, they, they came to some issue in, in the body they were in and they left they go to another body and it's not really a huge deal. And I don't think it should be that way. If we're going to break apart, if there's going to be a split somewhere, if there's going to be a, a place where we say we just can't be united anymore, this is going to have to hurt. And if it doesn't hurt, I don't think we're loving each other enough. If you think about well um, Francis Chan goes on after this in his book, and he talks about, like, if he, he has like seven kids or something like that, and he, he's married, married to his wife for a long, long time, and they've a bunch of kids, and he said, if, "If I took four of my kids and left and my wife took three and left, that would hurt a lot because he loves his wife so much and he loves his kids so much. And I know you people out there who are married with kids, you understand that feeling. Like, it would really hurt if you were separated for a long time by time and distance and all that stuff from your family. And yet we can separate this church family, and a lot of people can leave, and it's not that big of a deal. And it's evident to those people outside of the church, too, that we're not loving each other deeply. There was a study, another study, me and my numbers, um, Barna, I don't know if you know Barna, it's a group that does a lot of polling among um, religion in America and in the world, and they were talking to 250,000 teens, which is a big sample set for, for polling. And 59 percent of these teens said they were very or somewhat motivated to learn more about Jesus. That's almost two-thirds. Like what an opportunity we have in the church today that 59 percent of young people, they're interested, they're curious. And then we have to ask, okay, well, why haven't they? Because that's a lot of people, and why, why aren't they learning more? And while 49% of those people said that Jesus is loving, only 31% see Christians as loving. And we can say, oh, well, maybe it's because we, we put out a truth there out there, and there are, there are things that Jesus says about sin that people don't like, and that's probably part of it. But I have to believe that there'd be more people that see Christians as loving if we were more loving. We need to love each other deeply. How much do we know about each other? How deeply are we involved in the lives of each other? And this can seem daunting because there's a hundred something people here today and the global church is a lot more than that. And even just the church in Battle Creek is a lot more than a hundred something people. So we have to start small. Start with your marriage. If you're married, are you loving deeply your spouse? If you're not married, there's some teens out here, how's your relationship with your parents? I know that can be hard sometimes, but are you loving deeply in your relationship with your parents? You have kids how's that going we can't possibly think that we can be a united church this body and outside when our smaller relationships are fractured so another idea to move forward with that joint life group dig into people's lives we just can't do this christianity thing alone like i know our our society like america especially like you're an individual and we worry about our um You know, i got to get my work done, focus on my family, do my stuff, and then I can branch out. But that's not what Christianity is. Like, you can't be united to just yourself. God can, because he's three persons in one, but we're not that. So you can't do that. Um, Join a life group. Dig into people's lives. Suffer with each other. Pray with each other. Praise God with each other when things are going well. These are the things that are going to, to foster unity in the big C church and not just this church if we can come together on a small scale. And finally, and the hardest for some of us, including me, we need humility. It's like super hard to serve each other. I understand that, especially when you don't necessarily get recognition. I'm a kind of person, I don't know if you've done the love languages survey, but I'm a words of affirmation guy. So if I do a thing and like no one notices, that's okay, but if someone were to say, John, I saw you doing that, it was a good job. Man, that really, I like that. Um, So I understand how hard it is to, how hard it can be to serve other people and not get noticed for it, to do the work that doesn't get recognition. But this is the work of the church. This is the work of our footwashing Savior. This is the work of the Savior who lowered himself to eat with tax collectors. And that was one that I never understood. Like, okay, they collect taxes. I don't like paying taxes either, but like, that's a job, right? Um, I was listening to a podcast about two weeks ago and these guys were going through a, a series of all the names that Jesus was called and talking about that. Like he was called a blasphemer, he was called the devil, he was called the drunkard, which is funny. Um, and he was called a friend of sinners and tax collectors. And these were two distinct categories in Jewish thought. Because the Jews knew everyone sinned. We all have to, we all have to go to the temple and, and do sacrifices. But not everybody was a tax collector. It's one of like the all, uh, all squares or rectangles, but not all rectangles or squares kind of thing. All tax collectors are sinners, but not all sinners are tax collectors. Because the tax collectors were agents of an oppressive government. They weren't Jews, the the Romans. They were working for this people that was oppressing them and occupying their land and not letting them worship the way they necessarily wanted to. And they installed their own puppet king and all this stuff. And you were working for them as a tax collector? Well, that's worse than just being a sinner. You've added something on top of it. So the idea that Jesus was eating with sinners and which is, okay, well, he's eating with sinners, that's bad. It's worse than that. And that's the way they saw him. But that was our God, that's our Jesus, who lowered himself and humbled himself continually to, to show his love to other people. Unity is found in submitting to each other. And one area that I think is, is unique to Christians, um, at least in, in this way, is we also need to have some doctrinal humility. And you need to know that we don't, you don't know it all. And I don't know it all as much as I like to argue with people and say I know things. We don't know it all. And it's really easy to draw lines around people who believe differently about, I don't know, name an issue, name a doctrinal issue. Women in ministry or creation or um, atonement theory, that's the thing where people argue all day long about that. And they'll argue about... um, you know, church polity, we've been kind of working through that a little bit. I don't think we're fracturing, but there's been some strife there. You know, these are all things that people argue about, and and we draw lines around these things, and sometimes we'll say, well, that person's not a Christian because they don't believe whatever. There was even recently, there have been a couple high-profile pastors who said, if you don't vote for X party, you're not a Christian. And this just isn't biblical. Like, there are things that Paul and, and other Christians have said, like, these are the things that matter. So specifically, First Corinthians fifteen, one through eight, Paul says, Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And That he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he answered, uh, then he appeared to over five hundred brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. So Paul says that this stuff is the stuff of first importance. This is the most important thing. We can disagree on other stuff, and not be disunified. We can be unified in our disagreements about eschatology. For for goodness sakes, there's a whole conference that some of you guys went to about eschatology, and all these people I'm sure believe they're probably right, but they should have, probably have the humility to know that like, it's not super clear. That's why they all disagree about this stuff. And so this passage in um, that Paul, Paul is writing about, the things of first importance, this is one of those like first creeds. I don't know if you guys, I know we're Baptists and we're not super creedal people, but the creeds were um, things that the early church had, these statements the early church made that were easy to memorize, so we could like most of you couldn't read if you were in first century israel um, you couldn't probably read and so you'd be looking for something you could easily memorize so if someone said what do you believe you'd spit out this this paragraph like oh i believe that jesus was was born of the virgin he was crucified He um dead for three days rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven on the right hand of the father And there's these creeds, the most famous three are the Apostles, the Nicene, and the Athanasian Creed, and sometimes they were written specifically to combat a popular heresy that was going around, like um, some people were saying that Jesus wasn't God actually, but he was, it's all confusing. There are a bunch of things that they wrote these for. Um, And there are certainly issues that we are to divide over theologically. There are things that are warned against in the New Testament, like um, in Matthew 24, 5, it's warned against claiming that I am the Christ, so anyone but Jesus saying that they're Jesus. Um, in 1 Corinthians 12.3, we're warned against saying that Jesus is accursed. In 2 Timothy 4 4, and 1 Timothy 1 4, we're uh, warned against teaching or believing in myths. In 1 Timothy 4 3, um, warns against forbidding marriage to people or forbidding certain foods. And 1 John 4 1 through 3, and 2 John 7, we're warned about denying the incarnation of Jesus, that Jesus came physically to earth. So there are things and times when we need to say, okay, well, that's wrong, and we're not going to be a part of that. And obviously, this is a generalized sermon, right? You could say, well, what about this situation? What about this situation? Well, situations need to be treated as situations. But it just seems so clear that Jesus wants us to be unified, that Jesus says, if you're unified, everyone's going to know about me. And look at the churches around us. How different are we on things of first importance? How, how would Battle Creek look if we could put aside the things of maybe second or third or fourth or fifth importance and focus on things of first importance and really come united and loving each other towards that aim? So we need to call on the Holy Spirit. We need to love deeply. We need to practice humility. And I think as we, as we close here, we need to ask ourselves the questions, are we serious about displaying the love of God the Father in Jesus? Are we serious about that? If we are, then we must pursue unity. Are we serious about reaching people with the gospel? Again, we're not a gambling people, but this is the one we put our money on, that if we're unified, it's going to happen. Are we serious about obeying God, who calls us to love our, our neighbors, even our enemies, and love them? And this isn't just, you know, we say love, oh, I'm, I'm nice to them. No, he wants us to love them deeply. Are we serious about seeing the Holy Spirit move? If we are, then we must be serious about unity. We must be serious about coming together, about loving deeply those that Jesus has called to himself. So as we go forward, we're going to sing Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Um, I was just thinking about this because like, there's no other way. Like, If we're looking at Jesus, we're all going to end up at the same place. It's like if you, you start a bunch of kids in a field for a fun youth group game and you say, okay, look at this, we put a pole way out there. And you say, look at that pole and just, Keep your eyes on it and just walk straight. They're going to end up at that pole because they're going, to, they're going to wander over there. They're going to end up at the same place. If we turn our eyes to Jesus, we're going to end up at the same place.